<sighs> Poor Dodgers. Poor LA sports in general. Well, the Clippers mean, are out. They got beat by some random team. Yeah, the the Rockets. Yeah, actually, did you watch tonight's game? I did. Yeah, I actually. Um, so I'm, you know, as also uh, carefully documented on the show, I'm, I'm not a Warriors fan. Um, quite to the contrary, but um, you know, I, I have some friends here in the city who are. So they, you know, they've been getting very excited because, you know, th- this team hasn't won a championship in in their entire lifetime. Like the last time they won was literally before they were born, before any of us was born, and. Um, so I actually went out to a uh, to a bar this evening and uh, watched the game with them. Yeah, um, that was a pretty uh, close uh, last minute. They they lost. Wait, the 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 lead dwindled from uh, nine points 17, down to one. Seventeen. Well, they were they were they were up seventeen at one point in the first half, yeah. and then yeah, I think they were up by nine um, with maybe four or five minutes left, and then yeah, came down to the last possession. Yeah, who's who's the bearded fellow on the Rockets? James Harden. Uh, why? Why is he such a sourpuss? Did you see like right after the game where he threw oh, a little he tantrum, knock, knocked over the uh, curtain? What a little baby! Well, I mean, he he knew he screwed up that last possession, so but, he was frustrated. But, he, he was but it's not your home court. Don't don't be a little. Care uh... watch the language. What, what, what do you think I was going to say? I, I'm not I'm not sure. I was afraid there for a moment. How dare you! <laughs> Um, anyway, but yeah, again, I, I think that's what a lot of, uh, what turns me off about football and a lot of other sports is the lack of sportsmanship. Generally in, uh, baseball, most players have respect for the game, unless your name is Yasiel Puig or, uh, the classless Dodgers, but most people will, will respect, uh, the opposing team's ballpark and just the game in general. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think, I think the problem with most professional sports is it's the, the athletes who have the biggest personalities who get a disproportionate amount of the attention. I think by and large, most professional athletes are good sports, respect the game, but unfortunately what we always hear about are the ones that don't. Well, but no, nobody in baseball is doing dances when they get to home plate. I mean, you you have uh, Angel Pagan that does the, you know the the nice little salute every time he gets on base or uh, gets home, which which I'm still a fan of. But but nobody's doing a little dance uh, like when Brandon Crawford hits a grand slam. He just he he goes up there like a gentleman. He doesn't uh, dance around for a few minutes. Well, you know who's the who's the 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 most classy guy is of course Buster Posey. Well, because he just he just shows up he just shows up and does his job every day. Welcome welcome to the ballpark. Yeah. Oh man, that's a good. Uh, I gotta find that photo again. Yeah, that's good pretty stuff. good. Anyway, and also the the Giants are very, uh, very um, they're a well rounded and they're a quality team, but they probably have the fewest uh, big egos, which I really like, because kind of their two or like or actually they're probably like five biggest players are just very uh, consistent, reliable, and not showboaty. There, the actually, you know, I joke a lot, particularly with my friends, about not liking the Warriors, but truth be told, they're they're a lot like the Giants, where they're just they're a very likable team. There really isn't anybody who is a major jerk or and, and this this Stephen Curry guy, who apparently like he's like from what I've seen, he seems like kind of the the best player in the NBA right now. Oh definitely, yeah. Yet I don't ever hear about him thinking he's just I don't can't think of a better way to say it, but like hot shit. Like he doesn't act like LeBron or somebody who's just thinks they're the best thing since sliced bread. Totally, and he uh, he brought his two year old daughter up to the podium with him after game one, and it, it was just the most adorable thing you'll ever see. If you, if you haven't seen the videos of that, you you should check them out. Yeah, have you seen all like the the barrage of Kia commercials with uh, LeBron James recently? <laughs> yes, uh, that's just on every every other minute. Yeah, they've come out the last couple of playoffs. Um, oh, can can I actually? Um, I, I don't mean to derail your conversation here, but can I can I actually go back to the the uh, Stephen Curry, um, Stephen Curry? You, you you've been saying it wrong, and you're screwing me up, Stephen Curry. <laughs> well, people, um, every time somebody shares something on Facebook, it's a Steph Curry, which I don't know what that's supposed yes, to mean. Yes, right. That's just a short version of his first name. All right, go for it. But so I I mentioned a, a minute ago that he brought his daughter up to the podium with him. And she, you know, she was being adorable. She was kind of climbing around. She went underneath the table for a while. She kept kind of interrupting uh, her dad when he was trying to give answers. 
And there were a couple of reporters after the game who complained about it. Um, and it's it's been a um, it's been a trend actually. There have been some other NBA players throughout the playoffs and throughout a couple games in the regular season who have also brought their kids up to the podium. And I just I I, I didn't even know where to start. Like these reporters ask cliche, useless questions during these post game press conferences, and then the athletes proceed to give total non answer answers to them. So. Like, really? Like, this is what we're getting upset about is you can't ask your dumb question that the athlete's not going to respond to anyway? I do not necessarily um, disagree with that. While, because I'm going to send you a link to something which I think sometimes uh, illustrates what I think about uh, a lot of, like, post-game press conferences. But, like, after you win the World Series or, or you do something amazing... I think having your kids is fine, but when you're like debriefing uh, an important game, I don't think I'm not necessarily sure that's the place for your uh, kid to like if, if they're quiet and they're just hanging out with the dad. Sure, but if they're detracting from it, not not that like it's serious business, but I just don't. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, I completely, and, and so <laughs> the fact that these reporters are getting upset about the fact that they can't perform this completely worthless post-game activity just i don't know it's comical yeah anyway yeah yeah i saw that being argued and i and i kind of agree but again i don't think it's a big deal either way well that's yeah i i i shouldn't be as frustrated by it as i am but i just i just thought of all the things to get upset over that just seemed like one of the most petty things i've i've heard of in a while I think if we ban kids from uh, post-game press conferences, we have to ban the players from acting like little kids in the court whenever they uh, get a technical foul. Or one of those things where somebody barely touches you and you fall down like a soccer player just so the ref sees. I support that. I do. Uh, Well, in soccer, it's called diving. And then in basketball, it's called flopping. Okay. Anyway. All right. Should we actually get into some, some tech stuff? I think people come for sports. Yeah, I think they. Well, I think they they come for the sports and they stay for the tech. Okay. Do so you want to do news first? You want what do you want to do? Yeah, we'll do a little bit of news. How about that? Go for it. So you know we're in that time of year, kind of the mid to end end of May, where WWDC speculation is sort of the primary topic amongst the um, the Apple Apple folks, uh, including yourself. Um. So you know, there's been a couple of stories that have that have come out around. Mostly the things that you'd expect, iOS 9, uh, OS 10, or OS X, of course, as you say, 10.11, and then also some stuff around possible new iPad software updates. Um, I don't really know where to start here. None of, none of this is particularly striking. I mean, I guess maybe just a brief summary of those three topics, and then if there's anything that you think is interesting, we can kind of get into that. Um, iOS 9 seems to be sort of the like snow leopard or, or mountain lion sort of update to iOS where the focus is going to be not so much on new features, but rather on just general stability and optimization, which I think is, is a good thing. I think iOS 8 in some ways should have been that. So um, that's good. Uh, the, the rumor this week is that they're going to be switching the font uh, not only in iOS 9, but also in OS uh, 10.11 10, um, to San Francisco, which is the, the system font for Apple Watch. Boo. I was going to ask if you have any feelings on this. You, you're more of a kind of font person than I am. <laughs> um, I, I don't particularly... Like, I understand why that typeface exists for the... Um, for the watch, but I don't think it would look great on retina displays. And I don't see what, like just what it adds. Like, have you seen, uh, there's a font called, uh, Avenir that is very common in a lot of other applications. It sounds familiar and I'm sure I've seen it, but I, I can't it's picture it. It's very similar to the font that's used in overcast. Okay. I, I, I generally like overcast. But do you particularly like the typeface, or do you think, or do you think you would like it a tiny bit more if it was just the standard system UI font? 
Um, Overcast always, to me, has looked a little... Um, a little off, right? Cur- cur- cartoony-ish. Yeah, like... Uh, He's going for like a more human and is what like a still legible but slightly more unique typeface, and I think it does a disservice to that application that makes it look less like cartoonies. I think that conveys a sentiment, but I'm not sure that's the best word. But I I agree, and I don't think that switching to that San Francisco font is going to look good because have you ever seen, have you used a modern Android phone recently? No. So, I mean, for the past, like, year and a half to two years, ever since, like, 4.1 came out, um, Google made their own Helvetica knockoff called Roboto, and that's been on all those phones. And it's just a really ugly font to look at, whereas the iPhone, I think everybody can agree, it looks very nice and clean, and it's well-fitting for that type of screen size. So, I don't know. I just don't see the benefit there. But, again, it's, it's speculation, and I have no idea. So yeah, well, it comes from comes from Mark Gurman on Nine to Five Max, so it seems seems like this is probably something that's happening. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't. I guess, like I said, I'm I'm not as big of a font person, so I don't necessarily have a ton of um, feelings towards this. But yeah, there's a couple of renderings on this post that we're looking at, and they yeah, they look fine. Yeah, I'll actually have a question about that. Um, so, have you ever used any Android phone for any period of time? Like like um, more than a, a day. No, my my only extended Android use was with the Nexus Seven that I had. Okay, well, do you? So iOS is very strict. Like you can customize wallpapers and ringtones and that kind of stuff, but for the most part, you are unable to customize um, theme, uh, home screen design in terms of widgets and that kind of stuff, and um, uh, typefaces that are used on the screen. Whereas Android lets you customize all of that. And that leads to a lot of hideous Android phones. So do you ever find that to be a negative of the iPhone? And do you ever think Apple should open that up? Or do you, like me, uh, fear that day uh, because there will be a ton of hideous phones going around? Uh, No, I I do think Apple should open it up. Because if someone makes decisions that I don't agree with, what difference does that make to me? You don't ever think that certain things just should not be left up to the user because the user isn't smart enough to do it themselves. Like I, I have you? No, I, I, I generally things that just shouldn't be changed. I generally don't agree with that. I, 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 I get that line of thinking when we're talking about things which could affect performance potentially and affect things like battery life, basically things that would affect the overall performance of the phone. Um, which, you know, I, I guess customizing the theme and background and icons of your phone potentially could, but I'd have to imagine there's a way that Apple could open some of that stuff up while still managing things like battery life and performance. I mean, they've done it with multitasking and with notifications and with a variety of other things over the years. So I, I would really, really like to see things like more interactive app icons Things like widgets on your home screen, you know, not just in Notification Center. I, I think that stuff would be hugely useful to iOS. And I, in some ways, it feels kind of crazy that those types of things don't exist on, on iPhone. Hmm. Well, agree to disagree. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, you, you sent me a couple of pictures here with some uh, less than, than perfect uh, examples of things. Of... Well, I mean, the first one is is the iconic uh, hot dog stand theme from Windows 3.1, which was provided by Microsoft. Um, but, you know, I mean, some people, I bet, as ugly as it is, I bet some people really enjoyed that. And at the, at the end of the day, what, what difference does it make to, to you or I if they choose to use that? You're right. There's, there's no good answer for that. I'm just saying that's take a dive so I don't sound like a terrible person. Oh, way to way to bring it back. They that's they call that a callback. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, yes, I'm flopping around on the basketball court because somebody touched me. Nicely done. I didn't mean that at all. Well, but again, we'll just, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll we'll cut, we'll cut that out. We'll do some editing and we'll make it sound like you knew what you were talking about. 
I don't know. I think like much in the same way that I don't think third-party watch faces should be available on the iPhone for a very long time. I, I don't think Apple should ever really. I think there are certain design overarching design choices that need to be made for the user, and there is little to no benefit in allowing that customization, and so much to be lost. See the wa- the watch face thing though. I I think we agree on that, but for different reasons. I I think it's perfectly reasonable for there not to be third-party watch faces now because. That could potentially, and in many cases, I think very much would, have a negative impact on battery life. Well, but if you're skinning, like, but what I'm talking about is you're skinning the iOS home screen and throwing a bunch of weird widgets and making the phone potentially very, very ugly. How is that any different? That would also negatively affect battery life and potentially cause instability. Well, that's why I prefaced it by saying if Apple were to open up things like that, they would have to do so in a way like they've done with multitasking and with the notification widgets and things like that, where they can add those types of features without there being a detrimental effect to battery life. Well, but that's because both of those things are super limited and super out of the way all the time. Yeah, but I, I think I, I think that there are some limited things you, you could allow with um, interactive app icons, for example that probably like, what do you, what do you mean have... like, other than like the only example i can think of is a weather icon that showed like the true weather outside what could you really do in that like 128 by 128 box that you like what what meaningful info can be conveyed through that that's not a badge icon i don't know maybe if you're if you're like a music app maybe you can have like the album art to a new album that just became available on your service well, things like that. Things that maybe aren't particularly useful or like maybe um, if you're the New York Times or The Economist or something like that, maybe you have a, a picture from one of your most recent articles. You know, I, nothing nothing groundbreaking, but I, I just think little customizations like that do add bits of functionality and in general make your device more unique. I, I do think there's... There's a lot to be said about making your, particularly your mobile device, yours, um, making it unique to you. I mean, there's, on the Android side, not only with is there kind of that idea with the software, but also with the hardware. Like, Motorola is all about the, you know, whole customization of your hardware kind of thing. And, you know, I some of that stuff is silly. I mean, I, I don't want a bamboo-plated phone, but... Hey, wh- hold on. How dare you? You you have one of those, right? I have the bamboo-covered Moto X, too. <laughs> that was a shot um, at me. Uh, well, maybe. Technical but... foul. I'm going I'm to flop around on the court now. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, for that's not for me. But, but I think, it, I think it, that's it, what it, cases are for. Well, maybe. But why why not just build it right into the phone? Why build Why have to put something on top of the phone? So you're saying that Apple should allow you to get, like, NBA sports team back covers built into the phone? No, I, I don't necessarily think that Apple needs to do anything with the hardware. I'm just saying on the software side. Do you think the Lakers should be allowed to make an iOS skin? <laughs> sure, why not? Even oh, you'd install. I don't. I don't think the. Um, I don't think the Warriors should be allowed to. But yeah, the Lakers can. Why the Warriors have better colors? Oh, I don't agree with that at all. Mm, purple and gold. Get out of here. The Lakers are partially defined by their colors so what does that mean well the, one of the nicknames of the team is the purple and gold the, the you don't call the warriors the blue and yellow i do now <laughs> well good luck with that sure <laughs> do the sacramento kings still exist uh, they do yeah okay i haven't heard that team name in three years but okay yeah what are their team pretty- colors uh, they're uh, black and purple, or black, kind of black, silver, and purple. Okay. All right, back to uh, potential font changes in iOS nine or wherever. The, <laughs> right. Wherever this that's, went off. That's where we started. So yeah, so that 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 was that was a big topic, and then the other thing this just came out, I think, uh, today was um, potential updates to um, the iPad in particular. Um, so also Mark Gurman on nine to five Mac. It's reporting that we may see uh, dual app, a dual app viewing mode uh, on iPad, which is something that started getting rumored around this time last year for WWDC. And uh, German's article talks about how that is something they were looking at, but then they decided it wasn't ready, so they decided to put it off. 
And then I guess they got busy with iOS 8 and iPhone 6 and Apple Watch. So, but now it seems like maybe this year we'll we'll see this come to fruition. And it's you know there's a couple of renderings on this article as well, and they're kind of exactly what you what you'd expect, where you can have two apps side by side. Uh, you can scale them where each app just takes up 50% of the screen. You can have it where one app takes up like a quarter and the other app takes up the other three quarters. Um, so I don't know. That, that that seems kind of interesting and something that we actually may see in a couple of weeks. Uh, but then he also talks about uh, a couple of things that we might see later in the year, uh, namely a 12-inch iPad Pro and then uh, multi-user support. Um, so does, does any of this excite you as an iPad user? It doesn't just because, again, uh, if people refer back to episode 31, I have no idea if that's the right episode. But the one where I, I was going to I was going to say, wow, <laughs> no, um, uh, I, where I tried the iPad as my sole computer for uh, for uh, a week. I don't think so, because unless iOS 9 has some dramatic improvements to multitasking, I don't think that will ever fix things. Because I think with iOS 8, inter-app communication is still limited. It's gotten better with share extensions. And sure, having things uh, open side-by-side might be nice. But I'm not necessarily sure that fixes the kind of whole iOS pushing things out of memory too quickly. The fact that apps don't communicate with each other very well. So I don't think that makes it more of a productivity device. So no. I think it might be, I mean, I'm not going to discourage the feature. I think that might be cool. But I don't think it obviates the need for a full computer. What do you think about? Um, I I saw this. I, I want to say I saw it on Daring Fireball. I forget exactly where I first saw this, but there had been some conversation about Apple maybe should kind of further differentiate iOS on the iPad versus the iPhone because right now, in a lot of ways, the iPad, in terms of software, it really is just a, a bigger iPhone. Uh, in in most ways, like do you do you think that there should be a concerted effort to kind of further differentiate differentiate the two platforms? Um, kind of maybe. Well, well, what what would the differentiation be? Do you mean like the home screen layout should be different and it should be more geared towards like productivity use? Because then I think that l- would limit the appeal of that to first-time tablet or people people who don't like don't like traditional computers i guess if i had a lot of really good ideas maybe i you know could go work for apple (laughs) um but i don't know just things like this dual app viewing mode um but i don't think that has to be a huge departure from traditional ios i think that's just a different way of using a device like just like in the same way that the ipad has those um uh, multi, uh, multi-touch like hand gestures for switching applications and closing applications. Those are available just because of the nature of the larger screen size. So I think uh, like multi-window applications would be the same way. Like that would never be like Samsung does that kind of thing uh, on a phone, but it's completely impractical and hard to use. So Apple won't do that on a phone, but on a tablet, it kind of makes sense. So I don't think that needs to veer too far away from what iOS already is like I mean if they made it a, a like a more modern and full functioning uh, operating system I think that'd be great but then I think that blurs the line a little bit like if it got to the point where it needs to be I think that kind of just what then what it, when do OS 10 and iOS professional or for tablets or whatever when do those start to converge and I think the closer they get the either the more dumbed down OS 10 becomes or the less approachable for the entry-level user iOS for tablets becomes. I think that kind of ties into the, the, the iPad Pro rumor. So the, the idea is that this would be a 12-inch a iPad. So officially an iPad, which is bigger than some Macs. Um, what about that? What, 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 what kind of device is that? Is that a just a basically another scaled-up version of iOS, or is that something that you think should maybe, I don't know if branch off into its own OS is the right way to phrase this, but or maybe put a different way, become something closer to a, a true hybrid of iOS and OS ten. Well, are you saying that that's only available for this uh, mythical iPad Pro, or is that something that becomes available for the 10 and 7-inch iPads? 
I think the way I'm I'm thinking of it is yeah, something that's exclusive to the the iPad Pro. Well, then who does that help? Like like I I think Apple is again based on no inside knowledge. I assume they're probably already stretched thin because they have teams working on whatever the iPhone 6s is on iOS 9, on watchOS, on these unnecessary yearly updates for OS 10. I, I don't see where creating yet another operating system for a product that is seeing year, continuous quarter over quarter uh, sales declines. I don't see where those resources are going to come from and where the benefit is. Yeah, that's actually something interesting too. In German's article, he he kind of frames some of this, some of the, these these updates as being in response to declining iPad sales. And I'm not really sure any of this stuff addresses the reasons why iPad sales are, are down. I mean, are, are there really people who are clamoring for dual app support or a larger screen? Or I think so. If, if particularly multi-user support. I I mean. Maybe I'm just not a good example of this, but I... Well, you have to think about business. So so I guess here's the deal. So the the reasons why the sales are declining is because iPads, since they're not carrier subsidized in most cases, and since you don't use them as often, and like they don't have the same refresh cycles and replacement cycles that a phone does. So when people buy them, they're keeping them for two to five years, whereas the phone is generally kind of a one to two year thing for most people. So I think that's why there was a big jump, and that's why they got to, like, how many iPads have they sold? Like, over $150 million or something? Something like, like that. They got so quickly to that, but now it's slowing down. And I think for a lot of people who maybe have an iPad and aren't replacing it, a lot of it is because they found that, you know what, it just wasn't that useful to them. So I think more productivity features might be welcome for that, but I don't think that's going to make a big dent into sales unless this appeals to the enterprise user, which I think it might. And that's where a 12 inch might work for hospitals or like job site stuff where 10 inches is still a little bit too small. But again, who knows? It all depends on the nature of this. And if businesses start writing applications specifically for it. So, but I guess for consumers, I don't think it makes a big difference. Yeah. The the business angle is a good one. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, all right. Um, is that I it guess for then. Apple the, for the week? Yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing, which if we've already kind of covered, is Apple TV. I mean, it, it seems like when I'm thinking about WWDC, the, th- the three big things feel like iOS nine, OS ten, ten dot eleven, and Apple TV. So is there, I don't know. Is there anything about Apple TV or the rumors about what we're going to see in a new Apple TV that we haven't already covered? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some big news there. Um, so the Wall Street Journal uh, earlier this week uh, reported that um, Apple over a year ago uh, scrapped any plans or any uh, even internal like prototyping of a traditional Apple television set. And a friend of the show, Gene Munster, uh, went on CNBC in the morning to say that he is sorry and that uh, he believes the product is on indefinite hold and he does not think it is coming. So, so pour, pour one out for Gene Munster. I, I very much enjoy uh, Gene Munster. You know, we, we've we had the, the fortune to see him live. Um, we, we, we both really enjoy following him. Um, but I have to say that a, a, as an analyst in his position, sort of reporting on as of yet uh, unannounced um, products, it seems very convenient to um, be able to, if something doesn't pan out, just say, oh, well, you know, I was right, believe me, but... Um... I mean, and, but here's the thing, like, I, I assume Apple is making everything. Like, it's what what do they actually release? I think they're a big enough company where they, there was probably, a, a, like, an Apple video game console. I think there are probably 50 different types of 4K displays they haven't released. I'm sure Apple tried to make a scanner at one point in time. I think like Apple probably tries to make everything and then they feel out the market and they see if there is enough value that they can bring to the market before a product ever hits the shelves. So I think Apple works on everything, but the way he, he just tried so hard for at least half a decade to say that the Apple TV is coming out next fall every single time. It's always a year away. It's always a year away, Gene, but it's, 
<laughs> you know, um, uh, Gruber's really good about pointing things out like this when when stories like this emerge, which is, yeah, the idea that, yeah, of, of course Apple's at some point worked on a TV. And similar to the car stuff from a month or two ago, like, yeah, of course Apple's probably thinking about a car. Like, they have the resources, they have the people where they they can think about these types of things. They, they'd be they'd be silly not to. Um, so yeah, I just I don't I don't know why a lot of this stuff is is so surprising and, and gets as much attention as it does. And you know, the other thing actually, Gruber is also the one who points this out is. You know, you, you kind of have to listen to what Apple says publicly and, and, uh, and carefully sometimes. And, you know, one of the things that they've always been very consistent about is they say no more often than they say yes. And I, I don't know how that could be any more clear of an indication that, yeah, they work on stuff all the time. And, you know, 99% of that stuff never comes to market. Yeah. Anyway, so sorry, Gene. <laughs> Poor Gene. Yeah, same thing with an Apple Car. That's that's not happening. No, I I don't think it is either. But like I, like who I, knows? Maybe maybe they're working on self driving cars for in depth mapping applications or stuff like that. Or maybe maybe Apple's working on an Uber competitor. Let's throw that out there. Maybe they're working on Sync Four. <laughs> maybe Apple's buying Ford. Why not? <laughs> like, but stuff like this. Like, just I I. I wonder if people honestly ever just think about the stuff that they say, like the two markets that like, so other than the watch and the wearables that were the, um, like the big story for the past two or three years, the new ones for a while were um, television set and cars. Two of the most difficult, least frequently replaced largest purchases with low, terrible margins, like of any consumer durable good. Why would they do that? They're like, I don't get it. No matter how good an interface or how high quality or sleek something is, if it's very expensive and only gets replaced every five to 10 years, why on earth would a company that wants high growth go there? I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. But I'm, I'm, I assume financial analysts and all these people, all these writers are smart people who can just think about that kind of stuff. I, I like to think that too, but then you know, I, I do think that these these people are very driven by page views and and garnering attention. So I, I think but, there but if is what sometimes you're is a, dumb or or, or or is just like not plausible. Sorry, I shouldn't say dumb. Is is not like just when you think about it critically for just like thirty seconds. Doesn't that just make you look foolish? Yeah, it does. And, you know, I, I think naturally over time, if you say enough of those types of things, people will eventually start to stop paying attention to you, rather. Yeah, um, people still listen to Gene. And and that's the problem. It's like every, most other things he talks about, like he, he's a very astute analyst and he does a lot of great market research and he says a lot of worthwhile things. It's just always been marred by this weird white whale that he had for, for a 50-inch television set. You think maybe some of it was just him almost making fun of himself, though? I don't think so. I don't think you get to to like just fuck with people as as a <laughs> as an analyst who's trying to guide people on how to invest their money. I don't think you get to have inside jokes like that. That's a fair point. All right, get get you can um, throw a marker down. I always forget. I I don't know if you leave this stuff in or if uh, you actually have to edit out this. I I do have to edit it out. No, Thank you. you. Don't. Well, I don't have to, but I, I choose to. We need the explicit tag. It, it generates uh, it generates interest. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's the way it works. No. All right. All right. Um, what um, What do you have? You've got this this Marco dot org article. Is that is that something you wanted to talk about? Um, not particularly. Uh, so Marco Arment, the person who made Instapaper and makes Overcast, uh did an impulse buy on uh, a new MacBook, which uh, kind of the going name on the internet seems to be MacBook One because it only has one port and, uh, you know, just isn't, yeah. That's pretty good. I hadn't actually hadn't heard that. Yeah. I think actually John Syracuse might have coined it on ATP, but, um, and, and he just kind of uh, reiterated that it isn't, it isn't a very fast computer. It isn't a very good computer, which I think most people anticipated like that. That wasn't a surprise. 
But he made the case, which is something that we both discovered when we uh, went into the store and tried it out, is that the keyboard is just terrible. Like, it's it's just bad. And a lot of reviews, like, other than Jason Snell, a lot of people, like, just kind of was like, eh, the keyboard takes some getting used to. But no, like, it, it's genuinely a bad keyboard. Um, so he made that point, and also that, um, actually, what was his other point? Eh, I, don't, I don't remember. But, but mainly the keyboard. And I'm just glad that somebody else finally said it. And overall, he made uh, just a very salient observation, which I enjoyed, which was that um, Apple used to make uh, really, really, really functional things that happen to be thin, and now they're, they seem content with making stuff that's kind of functional and putting a, a supremeness, or, or thinness is the new um, supreme feature, which I think is kind of sad, but I think is a really succinct and honest way of putting the new Apple which I'm saddened by. You and I had a little bit of back and forth on that last point earlier today, and it might be worthwhile talking about on the show. So yeah, one of the the kind of ideas around this article is that Apple has now placed the importance of thinness above functionality. And I I don't disagree with that. I, I think they do that quite frequently, but the part that I don't necessarily agree with is the idea that this is something that's new like i ever since i've been using apple products which admittingly is you know not as long as as someone like you or marco but i've always i've always noticed that where apple seems to make design decisions which don't necessarily seem to be the best from a usability or functionality perspective but do allow the device to be one or two millimeters thinner so I, i guess i just don't see this as being something that's new so I, I disagree with that. So you had brought up the uh, the point of an iPod Nano. And I think in the past, Apple will generally push the limits of technology and uh, reason to make things thinner and, uh, I know it's a vague term, but like more well-designed. But generally, that doesn't detract from the key thing that something is. So even though the iPad, or sorry, the iPod mini was the like best-selling iPod at the time, and it was a fantastic product, and they... They wanted to be the ones who cannibalized the sales of their own product by killing it and um, releasing the iPod Nano, but it wasn't a worse music player. There were a few trade-offs that went with going to all flash memory, uh, namely that for the same amount of money, I think you got a little bit less in terms of storage, but I think you still got a solid four gigs of memory, even with the first gen Nano. Um, But in terms of like interface and music playback, it was still just as good like its core function was not like sidelined in it in the name of making it thinner whereas a laptop is kind of it lives and dies by the quality of the keyboard unless you're somebody who just doesn't just does web browsing and doesn't care and i think that every apple laptop up until now has had a pretty top-notch keyboard and trackpad and this one uh, the macbook one just doesn't and I think that is a big departure. And I think that is a problem with Apple in terms of like the iPhone 6, where they refuse to make it to keep the, the thickness the same. And instead, just putting in like a bigger battery, they're willing to make it as thin as humanly possible and have like these weird camera bulges and still pretty mediocre battery life, which I think you might have a little bit more to say about that too. I just think that, I know it's a meandering way to get to the whole point there, but stuff doesn't have to be this thin stuff still has to do its main job and the macbook one went too far in that trade-off like i can take lackluster cpu performance and non-upgradable ram and it being kind of expensive for what it is but if you can't type on it comfortably then what good is it yeah and i think maybe a good way to summarize your point there is that in the past apple has made some uh, functionality trade-offs in the name of making something thinner or lighter, but it, it's been stuff and features kind of more around the edges, whereas now they're actually willing to sacrifice a core piece of functionality, which in the case of a laptop is the keyboard, in the name of making something thinner. And that's where maybe they've kind of crossed a line that doesn't really make sense to cross. Fantastic. Can you find a way to make that sound like I said it and remove... 
Yeah, that no, we thing. have. Um, yeah, we we've got some some filters and logic that we've been working on. Where yeah, we think we can make that happen. Very nice. Yeah, I think I've gotten pretty good at logic. Nice. Um. Anyway, oh, no, that, you've, that's, uh, that's about you, you've it. brought you've brought me around on this. No, I, I um I I kind of I, I didn't agree with this when we were talking about it earlier today, but no, I I think that's a um that's a really good point. Like I'm not saying it's everything, and I'm not condemning every Apple product. Like I really like my iPad Air too, not as a productivity device, but as an e-reader and like a web browsing machine. I I very much like it, but like it's insanely thin and light to the point where I can't imagine it any lighter or thinner. But compared to the Air, I do see some actual benefit from it. But you know, a laptop, it's got it's got it's got a it's got a type good. Man, you know, I I know we've we've talked about this a thousand times on the show, but I just I just can't help but continuing to want a MacBook Air in a very very similar you know design that it's in today with a black bezel and a Retina screen. And it, you know they could charge more for it than the current MacBook Airs. I think that would make total sense. I'd be willing to pay that premium. But that a 13-inch version of that computer seems like just the absolute perfect laptop. Yeah, I gotta say though, I'm coming around to the 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro. I was I was pretty uh, not not sour on it, but I was kind of like meh. Actually, I I kind of like it. It it I think it's kind of the perfect size. It I wish it was like I do wish it was wedge shaped, which I think puts me in the camp of the MacBook Air. But I think it's it's plenty speedy, and um, other than the speakers, it's a it's a very quality machine. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, uh, we don't need to do like a full check in, like how's it a month in? But um, I I really really like uh, my MacBook Pro a lot, and I actually surprisingly have found myself using it a lot at home, just like on the couch, kind of in in place of of my iPad. Well, because it has messages. I think that's like. 60% well, I mean, the iPad it. does too. Hmm? I mean, the iPad does too. No, I'm saying like before, your Mac might have gotten less use because most of your text messaging wouldn't been wouldn't have been possible on it. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, uh, yo, yeah. That's that's huge for me. Um, and that's that's one of the main reasons why I like having it with me at work, even though I have a different computer which I use for most of like my actual work stuff. But I, I love throughout the day to be able to use messages be able to have fantastic Cal just open in the background that kind of stuff is is really really great yeah messages in particular um and if, if it's great that it finally works now too i think in, a, in a very early episodes i am pretty sure these are after they started going live i you know i complained a lot about messages how it just it, messages were never in sync across the platforms and it it just kind of was a mess but now it really is just sort of like messages is almost just like a window into some you know web view where you're seeing exactly the same thing no matter what platform you're on and that's well, it, that's awesome it isn't but yeah it's mo- it mostly is yeah, like i mean the only thing i don't like is that when you delete conversations on one device they're not deleted elsewhere that's actually one of my biggest pet peeves with it too. And I, I don't really delete conversations that frequently, but if I get some one-off text from some service Yeah, or like where you get a thing like, here's your confirmation or like your authentication code because right. you're logging in from a foreign computer. And I got to delete that on four things now, my iPhone, my Apple Watch, my iPad, and my Mac. Um, it's, it's a little... Oh, I haven't actually noticed it. Does it leave the conversation oh, string in the does. messages app on Apple? Oh, you bet it does. Ugh. So it would click the... Uh, the digital crown an indeterminate number of times so you can get to your honeycomb <laughs> screen and then yeah delete all that crap and there was a good uh, daring fireball article today about the behavior of the digital crown and i i guess i don't i guess because i stay in just the watch face view with notifications and with glances so frequently it it doesn't really bother me that much but um, I guess the few times that I do go outside of that mode, mostly like when I'm using the fitness app or on the one-off occasion, I'm using some other third-party app. Yeah, the behavior of the digital crown is very unintuitive and in some ways very just inconsistent. I don't, I don't really know of a great way to f- fix that though. Gruber's suggestion about leaving it mostly the way it is with just a couple small tweaks. No, I just think the friend button, like I haven't read that article, but I think the friend button needs to become something else. 
Yeah, or I mean, just at the very least, allow you to select between a few things. Kind of like you remember how, like on the iPad, when you had the the switch, although it's not a great example because it's no longer there, but it gave you the option between having that be the uh, auto rotation lock and then the, the, a mute button. Just it just seems like you should be able to choose between at least you know four or five different things that that button can represent. Yeah, and I think uh, like I don't know. I think the digital crown, like double tapping the digital crown for friends, would actually make more sense. And then let uh, the friend button be the back button, and then double clicking that be Apple Pay. I think that makes way more sense. No, I agree. All right. Um, any what else do we have? Eh, I think that's it for news. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing that I had open in Chrome here was um, earlier this week, Apple released, um, I guess, yeah, earlier this week, released a a new 15-inch version of the MacBook Pro and then a new version of the 5K iMac. Nothing super exciting, just spec bumps for both. Actually, well, spec bumps for the MacBook Pro and then uh, the Force Touch trackpad. And then actually with the 5K iMac, it's a more affordable version. It's now starting at... 1999 and it's got a i think slightly slower processor and maybe a step down in in terms of graphics uh, as compared to the the original 5k imac i think the big difference is they did away with the fusion uh the fusion drive Mm. in in the base model which is kind of a bummer so is it just a regular spinning disc Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah seems um seems like we really have crossed that point now where buying a computer with a spinning disc is not a good decision well i mean for a desktop i'm not sure solid state makes sense yet i don't know the 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 speed benefit from that is is pretty significant i i agree but i mean if that's your computer where it's just kind of your like media hub like dumping spot i think like it's costly like a five like a half terabyte ssd still costs like $800 $800 if you buy it from Apple. Actually, I should I should correct myself. So it, it, the graphics are the same between the original 5K iMac and the new one, but it's yeah, it's just the, the processor and like you said the Fusion Drive versus a traditional hard drive. Kind of a shame that $2300 Retina iMac doesn't come with just a, a solid state drive, but I, I guess I guess you need a lot of storage, so and a 1 terabyte SSD is pretty expensive. Yeah. So, you got a pick of the week? Um, how about you do yours first and I'll, I'll, I'll come up with one here. Okay. So you got, you got to have a pick of the, so we're going to, we got to make this a recurring segment. So a uh, pick of the week and a uh, tip of the week. Okay. Uh, so my pick of the week is the, uh, Bose SoundLink mini. Uh, oh yeah. I, I have one of these. Seriously? I do. Yeah. I bought one, um, near the end of last year. Yeah. Um, it's by far the best overall value for, uh, for your dollar for uh, speaker size and functionality and sound quality. Sounds amazing. It's tiny, 10-hour battery, definitely fills a room in an apartment, um, and it's fantastic. Because I'd found that when I'm around the house, I've been listening to a lot more uh, podcasts or like Spotify playlists, and I could either turn on my television to have it airplay through the Apple TV into the speakers, which seems really wasteful, or I can just have it play on the awful speakers of the 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro, or have it just be really, really quiet on the um, uh, on the iPhone itself. And yeah, headphones don't always work for me, and my old Motorola Bluetooth speaker from like six years ago is is um, not sounding the greatest. So the SoundLink Mini uh, is fits the bill, and it's pretty perfect. Yeah, my um, my uncle had one. Um, at Christmas this last year, and uh, he was using it, you know, throughout most of the day. And it's incredible how such a small speaker can really fill an entire room with sound. Um, and I, I was I was kind of struck by that, and then the quality of the bass, both high and low. Yeah, I'm um, I'm not an audiophile or whatever, so I, I can't say how accurate it sounds, but it sounds good. It's it's got nice highs and lows. It's got rich sound. So no, I, I'm I'm a big fan of it. So yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. So highly recommended. Two hundred bucks, fantastic. I think it has, it has insane Amazon reviews. Like I think it, does, it has, yeah. I think it has a perfect five star rating from like over like two thousand reviews, which is just nuts. Yeah, I completely agree. 
Um, can I can I make a a website my my pick of the week? Is that is it is a that website or a service? It's it's a website. Uh, is that is that okay? Can we check with the judges? I don't know. Um, go for it. Okay. Well, it, it it's actually two websites run run by the same group of people. Kind of they basically the same website just broken into two different categories. Um, and this is the wire cutter and the sweet home. Um, I the, the reason I I, I really I, I, yeah I kind of want to make this like my pick is because I've I found that over time and just kind of as I've gotten older I I find that I I want to spend less time making a decision about what I want to buy and just going out making that purchase and start enjoying the product like I just I don't find near as much enjoyment in the decision making process as I used to and I, I think that's mostly related to just you know not having as much free time as I used to. And it, there really is just a kind of um, huge amount of value in having a, a website out there with people's opinions who you trust, where if you say, hey, I want to get a new TV, or I want to, in the case of the sweet home, get a new set of towels or a new blender, you don't have to do hours and hours of product comparison. You can just log right on, It'll be a central article for each product, pros and cons, pricing, everything, and then ultimately a recommendation. Um, and I, 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 there's really nothing else like that on on the web. And um, I, I find just a, again a, a ton of value uh, from what they do. So I agree and disagree. I, I used to be a huge fan of them, but I'm finding recently that their picks or or their articles seem to be extremely um like they just rehash it seems it seems to be like they rehash other people's reviews and i don't always necessarily agree with the conclusions like if, if you go and look at their like best bluetooth speaker article like like sounding mini is just buried as a kind of meh review whereas the I'm, I'm guessing it's probably because of the price right but it's not expensive like the, their other one like their main pick was like uh 199 dollars as well and they're talking about these weird, like Amazon basic speakers and all, like all this weird stuff. So I don't know. Well, they do. Um, I, I think through their decision making process about what ultimately to recommend, pricing does play a really big part of that. So if you're a little less sensitive towards pricing, I agree. There are some cases where maybe their recommendation doesn't really make sense, but they they do typically do a good job of making kind of secondary and and sometimes even like third recommendations and they'll, they'll caveat some of those by saying you know hey this is a significantly more expensive model but if, if you're a little bit um or if you have a little bit more money to spend then you know these are good options so I, they, they do give you a little bit of choice with things like that yeah i, I just think it's gotten a little more uh, hit or miss recently but no it, it's very good and um yeah if you ever do uh find some value from the recommendations if you uh click the link through the articles they get a little uh, amazon affiliate cut so. Yeah, they do, and I. Whenever I do ultimately make the decision to buy something based on their recommendation, I, I do do that. Yeah, I, um, I will find. I think overall, in the past couple of years, I found the sweet home to be much more valuable to me. But I agree. But that one, I I love a ton. Well, I think that's a just a reflection of the fact too that as we're getting older, we're starting to buy more things just for around the home and maybe fewer uh, gadgets. Yeah, I miss the old me. I, I do too. Oh, best toilet brush. <laughs> well, best I guess eyelash the, the, curler. <laughs> oh yeah, they've they've got pretty much everything you can think of on the sweet home. Grow lights we like. Oh boy. And <laughs> bird feeders. Okay, I'm gonna get off the site. Uh, so then you also have a, a tip of the week. Uh, yes, very much so. Okay. So um, in OS 10, because I assume everybody who listens to this uh, is using a Mac. Uh, if you want to delete the contents of a line or a text box, you can hit Command Delete. Just learned that last week. Anyway, hmm. highly recommended. So if you're in a field and you've typed your password wrong, rather than backspacing a ton or doing what I used to do, which was select all and then delete, you can just hit Command Delete. Hmm. The more you know. Yeah. You got uh, my my would be yeah mine would be something that. Um, I first shared with you offline and then, you know, maybe we, maybe we did just briefly mention it on the show. I, I don't remember, but, um, on Apple watch, you know, one of the kind of sticking points or one of the things that 
is just somewhat of a limitation of the first generation of this product is the fact that you know the screen is off by default and then it dynamically turns on or is supposed to dynamically turn on when it senses that you want to look at the screen and you know that works most of the time but not all the time and um, you know quick little tip is if you go to look at the time and your screen doesn't automatically turn on you don't actually need to press either the digital crown or the side button. You can just simply tap the screen, and that'll that'll bring the screen up. So, and that's a that's a much quicker and easier gesture than you know pressing one of the buttons. Yeah, game changing. Mm-hmm. Well, right. good. I think I think we I think we helped a lot of people there. I think we did, but that no, we should, the, we should uh, that was the goal. We should put more effort into that. We should uh, try to come back with that each week. Yeah, I'll I'll um I'll go back to the drawing board, and do some thinking, and uh, next week I'll be I'll be more prepared for that. And yeah, we could um we could make that sort of a weekly thing. Yeah. And then before we uh, leave the leave the listeners, uh, do you want to have a quick discussion on? Uh, well, are you all caught up on the last episode of Mad Men? Ooh, thank you. Yeah, yes, yes, I am. So, wh- what do you think? So I, I'm I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I mean, hey, this is a safe place, right? Um, I. You know, as the credits were rolling, I just, I just did not understand what I saw. I just, I didn't, it did not piece together the ending in any way. I was really confused. Well, how, did you know? And again, a, a spoiler alert. You sure. should have oh, already yeah. watched this. So, tough, tough nuggies. Um, it, had you ever seen the Coca Cola ad before? No. Mm-mm. I think you would have needed some context there. So yeah, back in the early seventies, they had that whole. Um, ultra PC uh, by the world of Coke song where everybody just sings on a hill and it's just uh, a multicultural gathering of people all holding uh, ice cold Coca-Colas. But I think it's revered or, or thought of as one of the most well-known ads ever. So I think that was required to get it, but it's actual meaning is, is tough and very ambiguous. Yeah. Well, so I, um, saw just a couple short things on Twitter and actually it, it didn't it didn't take much. I think there was like one little post that didn't even really explicitly say what they thought of the ending, but they kind of insinuated something and it, it all immediately came together and I went, oh yeah, okay, I, I, I see. And um, you know basically to, to kind of summarize this. So the, you know, the last shot of Dawn is he, he's sitting there at this retreat that he had been at um, for a couple of days and you know the, the very last moment with him is sort of this, scene where he's sitting on a hillside doing yoga and he's got his eyes closed and he's got like this this little smile that comes on his face like he's just he's very clearly at peace and then there's a hard cut to this coca-cola ad that, that you just described and you know there's there's a handful of ways that you can interpret that um you know one theory i read was that the ad actually just symbolizes kind of the artificial life that he left behind um, because it kind of is showing or kind of um, interpreting the environment that Don is in last where we see him, um, but kind of in, in the stereotypical advertising way. But then the kind of the more common theory, which is the one that I kind of buy into, is that Don wrote that ad and that he was inspired by his time in, in California at this retreat. And so the kind of the insinuation is that he, you know, despite his cross-country journey, ultimately kind of ended up back where he started um so I, I i once i kind of started piecing that together i really really liked the ending because it it felt like it it struck this perfect middle ground where it, it's ambiguous and it's certainly open for interpretation but it's it's not like just some huge cliffhanger like we, we do get a sense of closure but it's it's closure in a way that you almost can write your own ending, if that makes sense. And I, I like I like that a lot, and I think that's a really hard balance to strike. Yeah, I kind of agree. I, I don't understand the part where you get to... So, like, they can't say that a fictional character made one of the most... Like, I don't think you can end your show on suggesting that one of the most effective ads in the history of time was written by a fictional character on your show 40 years later. Like, does that make sense at all? 
It does, and that that was actually a, a criticism I read the next day. I, I read quite a few reviews of the the episode, mostly as a way of again kind of piecing it together. Um, and that that is something that I saw. Um, and evidently, there was an interview with Matthew Weiner at some point when the series was on, and he had made a comment about how he very purposefully stayed away from having any of the characters in the show make an iconic ad. Because he, he he also didn't really like that idea that his fictional characters could kind of rewrite history and, and come up with one of these things. But I mean, like, in that sense, it felt kind of newsroomy. A little bit. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I thought it was I thought it was good. I, I did. So uh, changing topics just a little bit. Did you think that the whole Peggy storyline rang true for you? No, because I. I never really thought of her and Stan as a couple and whenever they were doing scenes together and they were bickering or just having general kind of banter or back and forth, I never really interpreted that as being romantic. It wasn't like a, um, oh my gosh, I'm totally, Josh and um, what was the woman's name in the West Wing, his assistant? I don't remember. Oh man, I um, you need you should talk for a minute while I, I look this up. Donna, though I don't even look Donna, Josh and Donna, um, for a real Pam know. and Jim, <laughs> right? No, I mean seriously, for for five plus seasons, they were just constantly on the on the brink of being together, and it was just it it was so obvious it was painful, and you know when they finally did get together, it was it was very very satisfying, um. But yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't at all get that same feeling from Stan and Peggy. Yeah, so I mean that that was the only part of it that, um, like, I mean uh, the ending was kind of, it, it was ambiguous. So you can, like, there are all there are competing theories that make me not necessarily dislike it as much as like the cynical view would be. But yeah, the the Peggy and Stan thing was just kind of uh, disappointing. But I did like uh, where it um, how it set up the. Roger and uh, the Roger and um, Jones baby thing, and also Jones' career at post um, McCann Erickson and uh, SCP. Yeah, I mean it's interesting just kind of thinking about it now. Every other main character in the show got a definitive, clean ending, like a place where you you kind of knew what they'd be up to for at least the next handful of years, if if not really just for the rest of their lives. And and Dawn was kind of the one that we didn't quite get that closure on. But I, I think it makes sense. Like, I, I guess the best way to put it is that the show ended in a very, in, in a way that was very true to itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like uh, for iconic television shows like this, uh, I think it's really difficult to write or, or not, not that I would know. But to, to for everybody to be happy with an ending, and I think this did. Um, I think it 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 did quite a bit in an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah, but I mean, particularly for a show that wasn't really like it wasn't building up to anything specific. Like there wasn't really like a logical endpoint for it. No. It you know it was a show that in a lot of ways just you know it, it really wasn't even about anything specific and it wasn't about getting to some end point it, it was just really interesting people living in a very fascinating time of history and uh you know i was curious the entire season you know kind of how how they how they were going to end it it just did there was nothing that was super obvious with how they were going to do that and yeah i i felt like i felt like they they had about as good of an ending as they possibly could have. I can't really imagine it being a whole lot better than it was. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't. I didn't know that. Mc, I'm not an advertising person, or I don't follow that. But I didn't know that McCann Erickson was uh, is a real agency. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I uh, I didn't either. And it, it's one of the reviews I had read mentioned that. So what I'm trying to figure out on Google on Google right now is, did they create the Coca Cola ad? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, very good. And now I just have to sit here and wait patiently for Better Call Saul to come back for me to have a, a show I like again. <sighs> yeah. Um, I've, so I've got um, 
Falling Skies on TNT, which is coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have never seen that show on TV. I, I caught up with all the previous seasons this past year, so this will be the first time where I've you know been watching it when it's been on TV. Um, this is going to sound completely silly, but you should at least maybe look at the trailer. Uh, there's a new show with <laughs> The Rock. Nope. Uh, Dwayne Johnson no. on, on HBO, no. where he's a uh, like a sports agent. You, you mean that we should not be watching San Andreas first? <laughs> you should. Yeah, I think that's the prequel. Oh, is that is that the Baller really show or something? Yeah, that yeah. kind of looks sort of maybe kind of okay, so you, up my alley, but probably not. Yeah, that's I, I, that's I think that's going to be a show worth checking out. I'll let um, you then watch also, the first one. Um, and then Okay, and then also um, True Detective season two is uh, next month as well. Yeah, I don't think so. And say so that has, it, it, it's a completely independent season, so nothing to do with uh, season one. I'm so you really would love True Detective. I'm not really sure what your um, concern is with that show. I don't enjoy violent television. It's not violent. Mm. There, I mean, there are. It's actually it's it's kind of funny. I think. Let me see if I remember this correctly. I honestly think the most gruesome scene is actually the very first scene of episode one. Mm. Maybe there might be something I'm forgetting, but at least when I when I'm thinking about the show, that stands out as being the one of the more difficult scenes to see. But um, it's a it's a really really good show. But like I said, season two is it it's nothing to do with season one. It's a, com- a completely different thing. New actors, new story. And sorry, who is? Oh, because they, they actually decided it. it's Vince Vaughn and some other guy, right? Yeah, Colin Farrell. Ugh. And then um, Rachel McAdams as well. Hmm. The The trailers they've put out look really good. Okay. Maybe I'll watch it in 2020. <laughs> it's not that far away. Oh, I know. Okay, time flies. It does. Just like this show. Oh, what, a, what an ending. All right, wraps it up with a bow. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yes.